You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. And maybe you've been really good at falling into that sin for a season, for a while. But listen, if you haven't dealt with it, it'll come up to bite you. You can be sure. Remember what I said in one of my opening statements, our circumstances, some temptation. And all of a sudden, that sin that we thought was lying dormant rises to the top and affects us. Oh, man, we need to deal with every sin in our lives. Let's be honest, every single Christian has an area where they struggle with temptation. It could be lust or greed or gossiping, but it's out there waiting for an opportunity to rear its ugly head. And it's so frustrating to give in to temptation again. You ask for forgiveness again and promise God this is the last time. Well, you're going to hear in Pastor Mike's teaching today about a time that the father of faith, Abraham, let an old area of his lack of faith show up again. And man, did it have consequences. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 20 as he continues his message, An Old Sin Repeated. I believe there are a couple of reasons why this account is recorded for us at this point. And you know what? When you read the scriptures, you ought to always ask yourself certain questions. Exactly why is this record recorded for us at this juncture in God's dealing with Abraham? God could have just skipped over this altogether, and it didn't need to be a part of the narrative. So why was it? Think about this. This is just one of the ways... When you read the word, stop for a second and pause and ask yourself a question. Why is this here? Why is this record placed here at this particular juncture in the life of this man, Abraham? We've already seen his failure, and then we've seen his successes, and he's progressively getting more successive in his walk in a relationship with the Lord. So why all of a sudden go back and draw our attention to Abraham's failure? Good question. Well, I think God deliberately puts this particular chapter alongside of what previously transpired, chapter 19, and that would be the record of Lot's sad incident involving his daughters, which ended there in chapter 19. Remember the incestuous relationship that they had with their dad. They got him drunk. And each one of the daughters went into Lot 
and Lot impregnated both of his daughters. So why was that? Why are they alongside of one another? Well, think about this. There's a plausible explanation. Isn't it true when we are talking about the paths of obedience and disobedience, now I'm, I'm bringing this back on you, and I'm bringing this back on me. For example, when we see someone fall, or we see or, or ourselves being very successful, being victorious over sin. But then again, maybe through the grapevine, we hear of one of our brothers and sisters falling, and we become aware of some secret sin that has been exposed in the life of another person. Isn't it true when we are talking about the paths of obedience and disobedience, we tend to get carried away and overstate our case. We become either critical or judgmental, or on the other hand, self-righteous. Think about that, which really shouldn't be the case if you think about it. But the Bible is too honest for that. It shows the followers of God in their weak moments. Listen, the truth of the matter is God's people do regress. Abraham's sin is huge here. Think about what's involved. It's a cowardly deed. He risks his wife's honor. He fails to trust God and weakens the credibility of God to save. The conclusion here is plain to see. The people with whom God works are not of themselves better than anyone else. What we become, praise the Lord, we become in spite of our natural selves. Oh, how wonderful is the marvelous working power of the grace of God. Listen, the truth of the matter is we're no better than anyone else. It's God and his work in our lives that allow us to bear fruit. Bearing fruit in the wilderness of human nature. Once faith is admitted as the root principle of character. All we need to do is just embrace Christ and believe in him, place our faith in him, and then God begins to do this work in and through us. Isn't it an amazing thing? And he takes all of the frailty and flaws in our character and our personality and our sins, and he transforms us and he changes us into the very image of his son, Jesus Christ. It's called the grace of God. And he does it for all of us. That is, anyone who makes that decision for Christ, who's born again of the Spirit of God. So listen, all the people of God had inconsistencies. Guys like David, remember his folly, his falling into the sin of adultery with Bathsheba, which led to the murder of her husband Uriah. How about Peter denying the Lord three times after he had been taken by the Roman soldiers and stood before Pilate and then was about to be crucified? And so it was with Abraham. All the people of God have inconsistencies. So don't get so self-righteous about yourself. If any of us are walking in victory, the only way that we can explain it is by putting God behind us. It's God's work in us. It's God's work through us. And those inconsistencies are not the result of God's work, but in spite of it. They indicate the helplessness of our own human nature. So that's the first thing that I wanted you to take away from our study. Now, there's also something else significant about Abraham's sin. 
And that is, it is an old sin repeated, which, of course, is the title of this message. Remember when Abraham, we're going back now to chapter 12, remember when Abraham and Sarah went down to Egypt during the time that there was a famine in the land of Canaan. Remember, God was leading Abraham towards the land of promise, towards the land of Canaan. And finally, they arrive at that destination only to find that there's a famine in the land. And so Abraham starts rationalizing this whole thing, and he thought it best rather than to continue to trust God and stay on his path. God would have more than amply provided for Abraham if he would have just stayed the course there in the land of Canaan. But he thought it best, as so often as we do when we're faced with some kind of a difficulty, if we could see all the way down the road and around the corner and what's waiting for us, we're good. We're good to go. But when there's a question mark down that road, we can only see so far down the road, but we can't see around the corner, then we take things back out of the hands of God and we begin to make our own choices and decisions. Well, it was a bad choice. And so anyway, because of the famine in the land, Abraham goes down to Egypt. And so picking up in the story, let's go back to Genesis chapter 12 in verses 11 and 13. Let's just read it uh, once again. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. And in that incident, if you remember, if you were around when we were in chapter 12, in that incident, Pharaoh also took Sarah. Man, she must have been really something. She must have really caught men's eyes. She must have been a real looker. But anyway, in that incident, Pharaoh also took Sarah. God intervened, as he did here in chapter 20. And Pharaoh expelled Abraham and his family from the land. But I want you to take notice of something that I think is really significant here. Here in our text, we discover the originating point of this particular sin. It didn't happen when they were contemplating going down to Egypt for the first time. It didn't happen then. It wasn't like, okay, we got to get some kind of a plan here together and figure this out. There's a famine in the land of Canaan. We're going down to Egypt, and that could spell trouble for us. So let's put this plan together. If anyone asks you about who you are, please tell them that you are my sister. No, that's not when it began. It wasn't when they were contemplating going down to Egypt for the first time. Notice in his explanation, when he's being taken to task by King Abimelech, and then Abraham offers his explanation in that explanation to Abimelech, Notice in verse 13, he says, And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me. And every place, wherever we go, say of me, He is my brother. So when did this whole thing play out? When did they fabricate this whole story? When did they put this plan in motion? 
back when they were in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, long before they ever reached the land of Canaan. You see that? This is an old sin, an old sin, unfortunately, repeated. And so the origins, when starting out from Ur, when God first called Abraham. Now, he was young in his relationship with the Lord. He was just beginning. Remember, when we're first introduced to Abraham, he's an idol worshiper. He's living among idol worshipers. That's what Ur was all about. It was one of the chief locations to worship these false gods. Ur of the land of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were noted for being idol worshipers. And that was, in fact, the very reason why God had to get him out of his father's house in the first place so that he could begin to do the work that he wanted to do in him, make of him a great nation. And out of that nation would come the seed of promise, would come the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And so he had to get him out of the land of Ur. He had to get him out of that place of idol worship. But when we're first introduced to Abraham, remember, he's young. He's just starting out. The equivalent of being a babe in Christ. So, therefore, we can probably understand his fear. He's young in his walk with God. So, okay, so when you first start out, you don't know everything there is to know about the Lord. You don't have this wonderful track record to look back upon and think, well, you know what? This is what I'm facing today, and I'm looking back, and something very similar to what I'm experiencing today, and God bailed me out. God was faithful a bit. So if he bailed me out, more than likely, he'll bail me out of this situation as well. Well, he didn't have that kind of a track record. He didn't have that kind of a knowledge or understanding of God or God's work. But folks, now years have passed. And God had worked. God had reproved. God had intervened. God had corrected. They could have canceled that agreement to lie. But unfortunately, they didn't. And the sin erupts again with terrible results and consequences. Listen, this is exactly where this passage may apply to you and also to me. Because maybe today, there may be some of us that have these built-in compromises with evil that we made in our lives when we were young. No one knows about it except you and the Lord. Maybe it's that 10% in your relationship with God that you just haven't given over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've made some kind of a concession with your sin, some inordinate desire, something no one else knows about. And maybe you've been really good at falling into that sin for a season, for a while. But listen, if you haven't dealt with it, It'll come up to bite you, you can be sure. Remember what I said in one of my opening statements. Our circumstances, some temptation, and all of a sudden that sin that we thought was lying dormant rises to the top and affects us. Oh man, we need to deal with every sin in our lives. Listen, this is exactly where, again, this passage may apply to you and to me. Making some kind of an agreement to do what we knew then and still know 
to be wrong, a failure to do what we knew then and still know needs to be done now. And basically what we're doing is sort of like bending the commandments of God in an area of our relationship with Him. And now the secret sin, this flaw in our faith, lives on to mar the present. Gang, get it out in the open. Confess it. Deal with it. That's what needs to be done. It's possible, you know, kind of give you a time frame here, that 30 years had passed since Abraham made this league with his wife, Sarah, to sin. Gang, what do we take away from this? Well, no sin is over until it is confessed and then cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You need to get it out there, man. Don't assume that some unconfessed sin will rise up and trap you and weaken your testimony. It will. Look at what's going on here between Abraham and this pagan king. Don't be like Abraham, who was foolish, thinking that God couldn't take care of him and Sarah. You know, it always begins with the inability to trust God or fear. We're just not trusting, we fear. And God knows that. But don't fall into that snare. Don't allow yourself or your hearts to be gripped by fear. Abraham, who was foolish, thinking that God couldn't take care of him, and Sarah. So what's going on in your life right now? Is there some kind of obstacle? Something that would cause you to be anxious? Are you trusting the Lord? What's going on in your life right now? What are those things that you've allowed to go on in your life that are causing you to sin? Now, so that's the question that you need to think about. And after you leave this place, would you please think about it? If the shoe fits the, wait a minute, if the shoe fits the foot? Okay, something like that. Get it out there and deal with it. And if you need help or encouragement or counseling, you know how to get a hold of us. And we'll be there for you. You can be sure of that. Now, there's one last thing here that I want to draw your attention to before we close out this message. And that is, and always remember this, God's ability to act was not hindered by Abraham's lapse of faith. Thank God. Isn't that an amazing thing? Again, talk about knowing something about the character and the nature of God. Just because you fail to place your faith in God, it doesn't hinder God from acting on your behalf just simply because you're one of God's kids. I think of my own children. I don't want to put this on my kids because some of my kids are here with me. But my kids have failed. But let me use myself as an example. I failed my parents. I had some really great parents. Wonderful. I was really blessed of God. God gave me some really great, loving Italian parents all over you. You know, Italians hugging and kissing and always there for you and very much involvement. They were just a blessing. But I failed my mom and dad on many different occasions. But you know what? They never put me up for adoption, thank God. They never, like, took me as a young person and put me on someone else's doorstep. They didn't try to sell me to the gypsies or anything like that. They still love me in spite of myself. Multiply that by a million, and that's the way that God loves us. And just because we fail our parents, our parents still love us and are still there for us. That is, if you had the kind of parents that I had, 
growing up. That's what parents, real parents, do. Now, if you didn't have those kinds of parents, I'm really sorry. And, but think about this. You have a father in heaven that loves you more than any human father could possibly love you. Amen. So we're thankful for that. So let me say this again. God's ability to act was not hindered by Abraham's lapse of faith. He takes control here. And notice the way that he continues to view Abraham when speaking to Abimelech there in verse 7. Now therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. A prophet? That guy, that weakling, who just put his wife in jeopardy, is a prophet? He's going to pray for me? you got to be kidding me. But that's just simply the way that God sees us. That's the way that God views us. Abimelech probably responded and said, uh, excuse me, God, are we talking about the same guy here? You see, his sin did not change God's view of him. He was still his guy. And in all the scriptures, think about that. In all of the verses of scripture that speak of Abraham, where he's recommended and commended to us, he never refers to Abraham's past sins, does he? He only refers to him as Abraham, the man of faith. Think of the whole of faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, where Abraham is listed as one of the men of faith, the captains of faith, and never refers to Abraham's past sins. He's always commended. He's forgiven. His sin is gone. His sin is forgotten. Listen, gang, it is good to serve a God like that, who remains sovereign even when we doubt his ability. Even when we doubt his ability. He's still working behind the scenes. He's still orchestrating all of the details. He's still pushing all of the buttons, pulling all of the strings. Even when we doubt his ability. He's the God who remains gracious even when we sin. You know, this should provide for us an even greater incentive not to sin. Think about that. Because of our love for him. Think about this. Think about the person that you love the most. You would do anything that you possibly can not to injure or hurt or disappoint that person. You got two people alongside of one another and you're forced into this kind of a situation. Who are you going to hurt? Well, you're not going to hurt the person that you love the most. So that's the reason why we need to fall more deeply in love with God, deeply in love with Christ. Paul put it this way, it's the love of Christ that constraineth us. That is, that it constrains us along the straight and the narrow. And so anyway, again, think about it. An old sin repeated. In my Father's house there's a place for me in my father's house where I long to be. Oh, my Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man, and he said that it is very good. 
Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.